1: WBUR Podcasts, Boston.
2: Hello? Hi, hi, is this Richard?
3: Who's this?
2: Hi, Richard. Uh, My name is Quincy Walters. I'm a reporter at WBUR. How are you? Uh, he hung up.
0: Hey, Quincy. Who was that?
2: That was Richard Bento, a guy whose story I've been following for so long that my mom won't let me bring his name up anymore.
0: Why won't your mom let
2: you bring up his name? It's because for the last year and a half, anybody who knows me has gotten an earful about him.
0: Yeah, what's your fascination with this guy?
2: So Richard is well known in the New England regional community theater scene.
0: There's a community theater scene.
2: Yeah, it's a tight-knit group of people united by their love of theater. Some have professional training, many don't. But it's supposed to be a space where everyone can have fun and explore acting freely without judgment and with a lot of trust and In this scene, Richard has had a big impact on people's lives. He's passionate, ambitious, big personality, and he does it all. He sings, acts, directs. He even founded his own theater company in Southeast Massachusetts, but he has this other side too, and that's
0: why I've been following him. And this other side to him is?
2: Well, he tends to leave a big mess wherever he goes, and then poof disappears without a trace. He's left a trail of breadcrumbs that span 3 states and 2 decades, and that's why I wanted to find him. And did you? I'm about to tell you.
0: Welcome to Last Seen, a show about people, places, and things that have gone missing, and whether or not they can or even should be found. From WBUR, Boston's NPR station. I'm Nora Sachs. Today on the show, producer Quincy Walters investigates Richard Bento's vanishing act. This is episode nine, The Bad Actor.
2: Before two years ago, you couldn't find anyone who would deny that Richard really did foster the love of theater in Young Thespians. A local public access TV channel covered a lot of his productions, and they'd get behind-the-scenes footage and interview the
0: actors. So, how about yourself? How did you get first involved with South Shore Theatre Works?
4: Um, I was actually in the show at a different company with Richard, and yeah. I liked Richard as the director so much that when he started South Shore Theatre Works, I came and I followed him, and it's kind of been been in almost every
0: show ever since because he's that good of a
2: director. That's Ashley Yankoff, a young actress. actress. She played one of Ariel's sisters in Richard's production of The Little Mermaid Jr. back in 2017. There's this recording of one of Richard's rehearsals, and you can see why kids, heck, even adults would enjoy working with him. He's so animated, waving his hands around and demonstrating what he wants the scenes to look like.
3: It is fast, ladies, okay? But, Jen, do you have it with, with the lyrics on there? Yes, I do. Let's do it for, just so we can learn what we're doing with the words.
2: Richard made sure his theater was a place where aspiring kid and adult actors could get coaching and stage time. Nurturing that kind of growth meant a lot to him.
0: So you said, um, that's the best part of, this, of my job. But really, this is a non-paid job. <laughs> of course, it is. <laughs> but, this is a labor um, of
3: love that you do. It is. This does take up a lot of more of my time than my my nine to five job. Um, this is my passion. It's my drive. You know, there are things that we do out of love, not a passion. And for me, theater is what that is. And so that for me, there is no price tag to it.
2: But as much as Richard likes to wax philosophical about being a good coach. He also likes the spotlight.
3: All my life,
0: I long to discover something as, true as
2: He'd often cast himself in lead roles. In a way, it seems he'd command attention in any room with his big personality. This is how one of his peers memorably described him.
1: Like, I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to be unkind. But he was a chubby, unattractive, very effeminate, gay Portuguese kid. And the theater world accepted him because the theater world is just very accepting.
2: The community theater world even more so. Because it doesn't quite matter what you look like or even if you're a star performer— As long as you're passionate and are compassionate, you'll have a place in community theater, it seems. That refuge was lost in 2020 with the start of the pandemic. All of a sudden, community theaters across the country were shuttered, except for one. Richard Bento first came onto my radar in the summer of 2020. It was sometime in July when a coworker gave me a scoop about some real-life drama unfolding with her sister's community theater in Massachusetts, South Shore Theater Works, Richard's Company. She sent me screenshots of a post on Facebook from a whistleblower bringing attention to licensing
4: violations committed by the
2: theater company.
4: The purpose of my open letter was to call him out for the information that I did have actual proof that he was doing something illegal.
2: Tony Light was a theater tech for South Shore Theater Works, which at the time was trying to put on two youth productions, Newsies and Legally Blonde. Now, in order to perform any play or musical, you actually have to pay to secure the rights to perform it. And Richard was making each young person involved cough up $150 to cover that expense. One kid got a summer job to get the money. Another kid said they got their money from a memorial scholarship fund. Tony thought it was strange that... Richard was ambitiously trying to put on two shows while the rest of the theater world was on hiatus. He worried Richard was sacrificing the kids' health and safety for his own benefit. Suspicious, he contacted the licensing company to see if Richard even had the rights to perform these shows. He did not. This didn't surprise Tony because South Shore Theater Works had gotten in trouble with other licensing companies. A spokeswoman, for one, told us Richard is on their red flag list and that he's, and I quote,
4: a bad actor. He told people that it was simply a misunderstanding and that he did have the rights. It was just a misunderstanding, and that's why he ended up having to pay a fine.
2: Tony says he was hoping that people who'd be affected would see his post and it would prevent people from falling prey to Richard again. And then the admins of the Facebook page deleted Tony's post. Publicly, they said it was because Richard's alleged transgressions didn't fall under their purview. But Tony says he feels like they just didn't want to potentially be sued for libel. Tony says he went to Boston's CBS station and never heard back. And then I called him.
4: I want to focus on the events at hand. I know that Richard has a sordid past. Um, I know that in the past he's done this and I see how that is relevant um, as showing you know, repetitive behavior. But again, I'm not interested in dragging his character here. I'm not interested in bringing up his past. I just want him in the theater group held accountable um, for what I have caught them doing
0: red-handed.
2: And just like the admins of the Facebook page, Tony didn't want to mention the so-called rumors because he didn't want to risk getting sued by Richard for slander. Tony had Richard's number on hand. It was, of course, important to allow Richard to speak for himself. That's when I called Richard, and he hung up on me. Hi, Richard. Uh, my name is Quincy Walters. I'm a reporter at WBUR. How are you? Uh, he hung up. Sometime after that phone call, Richard sent out an email to the kid actors and their parents to quote-unquote apologize for all of this. He wrote that he never intended to hurt anyone in any way. He offered to refund the money if people asked. No one I've spoken to who asked for their money back has gotten it. While South Shore Theatre Works was reeling from Richard's abrupt departure, it turns out that local thespians We're not surprised. This story fit a pattern of behavior I discovered, corroborated by court documents, numerous interviews, and emails that streamed into my inbox from the summer of 2020 into 2021. Some of them from people who were afraid of Richard and what he might do. People who didn't know each other, but ended up confirming what someone else had experienced. And since Richard didn't want to talk to me, I had to find clues elsewhere. That got me watching a lot of public access TV. Here's Richard soliciting donations for his nonprofit theater company on a local channel.
3: Roy, what kind of nonprofit would I be if I'm not looking for sponsorships, oh, right? Of course, we have wonderful sponsorship opportunities.
2: Except that, according to the IRS, his nonprofit status had already lapsed by the time he went on air. Still, he is sort of beguiling, even when his veneer cracks a little.
3: For anyone who's ever worked with me as an actor on stage yeah. or as a director, one thing that they will say is that I'm definitely passionate, borderline, maybe a little bit
0: like mega lunatic.
3: Well, aren't we all? Oh, yeah, that's right. Like there was no. Did you notice how we're a little crazy yeah, we are? Did, but that's you, okay. Did you notice how
0: quickly he didn't deny it? Right? I, I didn't. mean,
3: There wasn't even a hand up. <laughs> like, well, not really. That it was more like, no, yes, of <laughs> course, <but."> yes. <laughs>
0: But
2: not everyone thinks Richard is charming or funny or cute.
1: My name is Sue Netter, and I live in Swansea, Massachusetts. And uh, I founded a non community theater company called Footlights Repertory Company in 2010.
2: Sue calls Richard the Jesse James of community theater, and she wishes she never met him. She got to know him in 2011 when he was directing their production of Jesus Christ Superstar, and he was playing the role of Judas. You know, that disciple who betrayed Jesus for a little bit of silver.
1: Well, looking back, you know, hindsight's 2020. We would look back at that production and call it my uh, Liza Minnelli Judas because he really was just Liza Minnelli in a Judas costume. <laughs>
2: During the production of Jesus Christ Superstar, Sue kept fielding complaints about how Richard treated people.
1: He was very mean. He had a very mean streak. And he treated people rudely and very unkindly, you know.
2: And after she had heard enough, she confronted him.
1: It's supposed to be fun. We were, we were community theater, for heaven's sakes. It's not like these people were getting paid to do this. They were all volunteering, except for him. When I'd had enough of that, I pulled him aside and I said, look, we can't have this. And then, he, then I got the tears. And listen, I'm going through cancer treatment and it makes me very cranky. And, you know, you need to make people understand that I can't continually repeat myself. And it was this whole big, like, good Lord in heaven, what an Academy Award performance. Um, so, again, you know, I had a meeting with the cast, minus him, and I said, look, this is what he told me. He has cancer, and he, he, his voice is strained. And, um, uh, but it wasn't long after that that nobody believed it.
2: It seemed to Sue that whenever Richard found himself confronted with accountability, He'd say he had an ailment. Other people I've interviewed made similar observations. Without talking to Richard or his doctors, there's no way to know he didn't have those afflictions. But Sue says, if you were really telling the truth, he'd probably be dead by now. Eventually, Sue says, the cast turned against Richard, threatening to leave the company. But she convinced them to stay, promising that their subsequent production would be their last working with Richard as director. And even though he was already on her shit list, Sue says Richard still managed to wreak havoc. She had given Richard money to pay their set builder, and mysteriously, the money never made it to the set builder. Sue says that, paired with an increasingly flimsy-looking cancer story, was the final nail in the coffin.
1: I told him, I said, pack your stuff and leave. I don't want you here anymore. I don't want anything to do with you anymore We are officially parting ways, and I will find someone to pick up where you left off with this show. And um, he begged me, and he pleaded with me, and he said he was sorry, and he would never do it again, and he would never lie to me again, and blah, 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 blah. And I was so angry.
2: Sue was also angry because she lent Richard money. She says he told her he needed to borrow some cash to secure housing and that he'd pay her back in two weeks' time. There was no housing arrangement, and Richard didn't pay her back. A Massachusetts judge ordered him to pay her nearly $3,000 in 2013. He never showed up to court. Sue guesses Richard owes her an additional $7,500 to $10,000, money she says she loaned him after he told her he needed money for cancer treatment or he needed money for medication to treat HIV. And she never expects to see that money again. Sue says Richard squandered her kindness. She just feels lucky she didn't let Richard near her theater's finances. And like Paul Revere's midnight ride, she made it her mission to warn everyone about the impending arrival of tyrannical force. When Sue learned that Richard had gone on to work for a community theater in nearby Bristol, Rhode Island, she suspected he might also try to pillage their trust and wallets. So she tried to thwart his attempt.
1: No one listened to me. I remember having the conversation with those poor, wonderful people from Bristol Community Theater Mm -hmm. and they got angry at me. They were angry at me. How could you say anything about him? He's wonderful. He's wonderful, you know? And I was just like, okay, like, just remember that I told you this and good luck.
2: Richard Bento strikes again in Bristol in a minute. And so is this the building here where the theater used to be?
5: Yes, that's where we used to be, the old Reynolds School building. Right now we're in storage.
2: Marie Knappman is the president of the Bristol Theatre Company. We're standing across the street from where the company used to perform. Richard had worked there years before Marie took helm of the theater and then returned after a long time away to direct and act in Once on this Island. Marie says the company had recently heard some rumors about Richard, that he had left a few other companies and no one would say why exactly. But that was it. Maybe he was unreliable.
5: But... I thought he was talented. Um, I was happy to have someone with the talents he brought to the table. And uh, I didn't know him well, obviously, at that point. But I didn't have any major red flags, or even minor red flags.
2: And they got close. Marie says Richard would come to her home and have dinner with her family. She says her kids looked up to him. But if there's one thing I've heard from people over and over again since embarking on this reporting journey, it's that you can probably rely on him to vampire your kindness and steal from you." A year into Richard's return, the theater's finances weren't adding up. Initially, they thought it was a miscalculation.
5: Well, we were seeing a lot of checks that, like, he would say to the treasurer, I need to pay the lighting guy, but I don't know how much it is, so leave it blank and I'll fill it out, or I don't know who we're paying this to.
2: And then the treasurer couldn't access the theater's bank account because the password had, for some reason, been changed. It was a Sunday night when Marie got a call from the theater's treasurer. And they realized they had made a miscalculation in trusting
4: Richard.
5: They called me and said, We need to talk. There's something strange going on, and we think that Richard's embezzling from us. And I, I said, Well, come to the house. And we sat for like two hours and went over stuff. And I said, Oh, absolutely, he is. And we're going to the police the next morning.
2: They figured out that in 2012 and 2013, Richard had slowly siphoned nearly $15,000 from the theater. Small amounts at first, over a long period of time. And then the last month or two, his boldness seemed to escalate with bigger amounts being withdrawn.
5: I think I was surprised at the extent of it. You know, money's coming in we're paying the bills, we're managing our overhead, and we're skating by, which is what community theaters do. So it wasn't a huge thing until we started hearing from vendors that invoices had been doctored.
2: Surveillance footage from the bank's drive-through showed Richard cashing checks. It was all there. Marie could clearly see evidence that Richard had been hemorrhaging funds from them almost in plain sight, the warnings she heard and ignored years ago were now crimson red flags. Marie and others from the theater confronted Richard.
5: He had every excuse in the book um, that it was someone else, someone was setting him up. He was, you know, that then we got pictures from the bank that showed him in the drive through with the checks that he was cashing. <laughs>
2: In March of 2014, the Bristol police arrested Richard and charged him with embezzlement, fraud, and several counts of obtaining money under false pretenses, and he was sentenced to pay restitution. That was the last time Marie saw him. Does Richard still owe you money?
5: I believe we collected half
2: of the just about 14000
5: that he owed us, so about half of that is still outstanding.
2: Bristol County court records back up what Marie says, and that he hasn't made a payment in about three years. That lack of payment resulted in another warrant for his arrest being issued in 2019.
5: I don't foresee us ever getting any money, more money from him. I don't have any hope that anything's really going to be done. It's not considered a huge crime, you know, so...
2: I guess she means it's not considered a huge crime in the eyes of the law. But as far as I know, this is Richard's biggest money grab as a Judas archetype. Because of the pandemic, the Bristol Theatre Company took a big financial hit. That's why they're in storage now. And even though Marie doesn't expect Richard to pay the rest of what he owes, she can't help but think about how it helped the community theatre regain some footing. Marie says she wants Richard to know that her theater company has moved on, and they haven't really revisited what happened until I called them years later to talk about
5: it. It's hard. It's hard to admit you were stupid enough to let this happen, you know?
2: Not stupid, Um, but... Well, I know,
5: naive. naive Yeah, maybe too
2: trusting. And somebody said that, you know, somebody asked, you know, why community theater? If you're like a good crook, there's more opportunity to make more money but somebody said that it's like a place where there's a lot of trust and very little oversight. Yep, absolutely. Marie had no idea where Richard ended up, but Sue Natter had a hunch.
1: Richard Bento has a history of hiding in his parents' basement every time he gets caught.
2: You said he lives in the basement. How do you know? Or
1: I don't know if he lives in the basement. He lives with mommy and daddy. He's 30-what? Failure to launch.
2: Last summer, I decided to pay a visit to the address listed for Richard. It's also the address listed for his parents. Even though he hung up on me, blocked my number, and ignored my emails, I wanted to give him another chance to speak for himself. He's practically down the road from some of the people who say he conned them in Swansea, Massachusetts. I'm a minute away from Richard's house. I came here last year. Uh, Someone said if there was a yellow car in the driveway, that meant he was home. There was a yellow car in the driveway, but his dad said he was in the hospital. Um, And someone was peeping through the blinds. It could have been Richard. It could have been his mom. But... Uh, let's see if we have any luck. I'm about to turn the corner. Is there a yellow car in the drive? There is no yellow car in the driveway. Actually, it looks like, like nobody's
4: home. All right.
2: Well, I tried. It was kind of demoralizing, being so close yet again to Richard and not making the connection. So, in my state of dejection, I went to Subway and ate a turkey and Swiss sandwich in the car in the parking lot. And I went over so many notes and people I wanted to talk to again. There was the dad of the kid thespian who never second-guessed why his kid always got low-quality photocopied scripts for plays.
4: Those little things here and there that we... We're like, okay, maybe that was a mistake, but now that we're looking back at it, maybe it wasn't.
2: There was the treasurer who, after asking Richard about missing finances, was blamed by Richard and blackballed by the New England community theater scene.
0: He badmouthed me to other members of the group, told people that I wasn't a good person. I've realized recently that he actually told people that I stole money from the group. There
2: was this feeling that if I had a face to face with Richard to get him to answer for his proven, and alleged crimes, it allow me to carry out some modicum of justice that people have told me they needed after all these years. And many of Richard's victims still want him to be held accountable. Here's Marie from Bristol again.
5: I'd like to see him go to jail, (laughs) where he can't do this to anyone anymore, but I don't see that happening. I think I feel the worst out of everything for his parents. I I mean, I had met them once, and they were very sweet people, and I think he has just ruined their lives.
2: His parents' lives are a subject of discussion in numerous interviews— Some people I've spoken to say Richard told them his parents were deceased, that one died in a car accident and subsequently the other died of a broken heart. Some people feel Richard's parents enable him. I realized that most of the people I talked to weren't really close to Richard. Those who were didn't want to talk to me for this story. But someone who knew Richard well, or thought they did, was Jason Hare Wynn, Richard's old roommate
4: from the early 2000s. I've always been a great judge of character. You know, I don't know if part of that is my own anxiety or what it is, or my social anxiety. But, you know, uh, he just seemed like a, a good person.
2: Jason met Richard in the fall of 2002 in a local theater production of West Side Story in Rhode Island. Jason says he was never one to
4: make friends in theater. He was just there to do a job. Then he met Richard. When he started getting friendly with with me, it it was pretty surface level.
2: But a real friendship soon blossomed. Richard and Jason were young, hungry theater actors. And after closing night of the musical, Richard told Jason he got a job in New York City with the American Cancer Society and an apartment. He asked Jason if he wanted to be roommates and audition for Broadway shows. Jason was down. They arrived in New York, U-Haul packed with their
4: earthly belongings. And then he said, oh, well, um, something happened with the apartment. We don't have an apartment. And this gave Jason
2: a bit of anxiety. But Richard came through and eventually found them a one-bedroom apartment, not quite at the heart of Broadway, way out in Brooklyn, near Coney Island. Jason says it was an awkward arrangement. Richard took the bedroom while he slept in the living room. Richard would leave early in the morning to go to work, and when he got back, he would tell Jason all about his day. It seemed like Richard was killing it at his job, and getting one step closer to his Broadway dreams. Jason remembers being on the subway with Richard and Richard getting
4: callbacks for auditions. And we didn't put two and two together that at that point in time, you know, calls, calls on the subway just, you didn't have reception. So he'd get these calls that, like, would offer him a show and have this complete, um... Exuberant reaction to it And we were excited For him but you know looking back on it It's like how stupid could we have been That (laughs) this happened What are some of the
2: things that he would Say like when he was on the phone Or how would that go? He'd be
4: like hello? Yeah? Yeah? Oh my god You're kidding me Oh, my God. Like, it was just really over the top. When you you do that, are you doing an impression of him? I'm doing an impression of him. It it sounds pretty good. (laughs) It's pretty good. Thanks.
2: When Jason would ask Richard if he could come see him perform, though, there'd always be an excuse as to why Richard dropped out of the production. Over time, Jason got more and more suspicious of Richard's behavior. He took it pretty far, even following him to work one day, and discovered that Richard went to an adult movie theater instead. No one can say
4: Richard doesn't thoroughly love theater.
2: Did you I... confront him about that? or?
4: So I let it go on for quite a while, where I just kept sort of banking up the lies until I had enough to really sit down and confront him about it. Right. It all came out from me. Right. And, um, and what did he say? He admitted to me that he had lied. He didn't care that he lied. He just had this like, yeah, oh. He had no remorse. He has no remorse. He has no feelings, which I think is the most bizarre thing, you know, like even when he looks at you. It's like, just dead.
2: Talking to Jason made me realize just how long Richard has been deceiving people in big ways and small, even those who had considered him a
4: friend. I think Richard always played Richard in a role, which is always acting.
2: Jason thought he was done with his fraudulent former friend. But then he saw pictures of Richard on WBUR's website, and came to a startling and very creepy realization. In one picture, on
4: Richard's right arm, you can see a tattoo. I said, oh my God, he has the same tattoo I have on my arm. And it's not, it's not like a well-known scenario. I have strength and uh, skillful in the arts in runes. You know, that to me was a, was a telltale sign. I went away for flight attendant training before I met him, and that was a
2: For years, Jason says, people told him Richard wanted to be him, or at least be very close to him. But seeing that tattoo on Richard's arm after over a decade of dissolved friendship seemed to be the most concrete proof in ink, no less. And Jason figured with the story in the open coexisting with the arrest warrant for Richard... Jason would get to see some kind of justice done. Maybe Richard would have to do community service or would be banned from local theaters. Maybe Richard could get some counseling while he's
4: at it. But Jason didn't have a lot of faith in the authorities. Like I told you, even when I had when I had gone to the Swansea police, they know who he is. They know his name. I don't know why he hasn't surfaced. He's probably going to. Jason says based on his experiences with Richard, he, like Sue,
2: also thinks Richard is probably hidden away at his parents' place, scheming his next move. Maybe he'll pop up somewhere else to continue his cycle.
4: If history repeats itself, that's what he's doing. I mean, right now is the perfect situation, right? People are hurting for jobs, theaters are hiring. He could go to Canada. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past him. Other people I've
2: interviewed have this theory too, that Richard won't be able to help himself and he'll strike again. People only diverge on if they think he'll change his name or not. Some say Richard loves himself and thus his name too much to change anything. But there is a consensus. People are still hurt. Richard owes thousands of dollars and as many explanations or contritions or mea culpas. Back in the subway parking lot in Swansea, two miles away from the address listed for Richard and his parents, I realized I had come too far, both journalistically and geographically, to just turn around and drive the 50 miles back to Boston. I decided to come back, and he's here. Oh my gosh, the the yellow car is in the driveway. So, uh, let's... uh, Let's do this, yo. I walk up to the door, and in my mind, and in some ways my heart, I'm carrying all these questions and sentiments that people have for this man. And I ring the doorbell. The garage is opening. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, My name is Quincy Walters. I'm a reporter from Boston. And I was looking for Richard. Richard. Yeah. He's he's in? Okay. Standing outside, I was a little afraid. The story I wrote in 2020, I think, really thwarted his con. After all, fewer things are more dangerous than screwing with people's money. Broadway World posted a story about it. A theater blogger called it explosive. And the people I've interviewed said, they know he's definitely seen it. My heart is racing right now. His dad said he was gonna go get him. As he emerged from the garage, eyes squinting from the sun, Richard looked different in real life than he had in the pictures. He'd traded his chin strap beard for a full salt and pepper one. He was wearing glasses. He looked more lanky. Hi, are you Richard? Yes. I'm Quincy Walters, a reporter from WBUR. Mm-hmm. Do you, Do you know who I am? Or no? Okay. Um, so, uh, last year I worked on a story about how you disappeared, and I was wondering if you would be willing to talk to me about that. No, thank you very much. No, okay. All right. Well, so the thing is, it would give you a chance to sort of clear the air, no, people. No, no. Okay, thank you. All right, thank okay. you. Can you get Yeah, all right. Bye. All right, thank you. The dad just waved to me. Well. (sighs) His dad looked kind of sad, resigned, and kind of did a, well, what can you do kids these days kind of shrug. And for the most part, people who have been affected by Richard feel like the legal system may have had the same response. Since this is a story involving theater, it's only fitting to end on a soliloquy. So here's mine. I admit, a little part of me has wondered, what if Richard was the victim here? What if he's been telling the truth all along? But then I thought, what are the odds of the New England community theater community conspiring against this man? Since Richard won't talk, I can only report on the evidence I have. There's the warrant in Bristol. People email me saying he still owes them money. And there was a complaint filed with the Massachusetts Attorney General's office about that last con of his, Allegedly stealing money from kids, and there's been no movement on it. A lot of people he damaged seem to be trying to move on. As I mentioned, Richard has vanished from the stage and the internet. Even Public Access TV has removed most of its content of him without explanation sometime after my story aired. I emailed them to ask about that. No response. But here's the conclusion of one Richard episode that's still up before the curtain drops. In just a few seconds, it kind of illustrates how much of a bad actor Richard really is and how no one has the time for it.
0: So I only have 10 seconds left.
3: What do you want to say, Richard? Well, I uh, want to thank you for having us on the show once again um, and really being part of a community because I think we hear always that it takes a village and it really truly does and with Wonderful. all the support of you I all. i got to watch out about asking him for that last I 10 know, seconds. Sorry. Thank you all for watching. <laughs> Have a great day.
0: This week's episode of Last Seen was reported and written by Quincy Walters. It was produced by Quincy and myself, Nora Sachs, your host and curator of this season. Story editing by Nick White and Maureen McMurray. Mix and sound design by Paul Vikas. Additional production assistance from my WBUR podcast teammates, Amory Sievertson, Dean Russell, Matt Reed, and Kristen Torres. Fact-checking by Mira Rahman. Ben Brock-Johnson is our executive producer. Special thanks to Tony Light, Sue Netter, Marie Natman, and Jason Hare Wynn for lending their voices to this story. Thanks to Reagan Jones for legal expertise and to Stoughton Media Access for archiving Richard's appearances. And Quincy also wants to thank everyone who has heard him talk about this story forever. If you want to know more about this episode and see show notes, including the original radio story Quincy reported for WBUR, go to our website, wbur.org slash last scene And follow us on Twitter at Last Podcast. You can always pitch us your story ideas about people, places, and things that have gone missing. Drop us a line at Last at gmail.com. Coming up next is our 10th and last episode of this season a story about a black entrepreneur in Cleveland who was punished for daring to live the American dream. To me,
1: 105th and Euclid is a crime scene. It should be surrounded by that yellow tape
0: that you see in law enforcement. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week.